by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Get away with it this time. All right. Hebrews 9, 28. So also Christ died once for all times as a sacrifice to take away away the sins of many people. Well, that's just a good place to start right there. He was the seed planted on the earth and he took away our sins of of whom I am one and I hope you are too and it goes on to say he will come again not to deal with our sins why won't he deal with our sins because he already paid that debt the sin debt is paid but he's coming to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. Say eagerly. Now how are you waiting for Jesus to come back? If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're probably like, I hope he don't come back. Where can I hide when he gets here? But you don't have to feel like that. You can be like the rest of us who have made him Lord of our life, and you can eagerly await his return because you know he's coming to bless you. He's coming to take you to your reward in heaven. Amen? Say eagerly. Now last week we talked about having grateful hearts at being Thanksgiving week and all. And uh, this week we're going to talk about how those grateful hearts should produce eager spirits. It should produce eager people. If, if you're truly grateful, you're eager to please, right? I looked up the word eager in the dictionary, and it says wanting to do or have something very much. Well, we already have something, so we should be eager to do. When I was, uh, I think I was in like the seventh grade, I played football for St. Paul Catholic Church up there in Whitehaven. I didn't actually go to school there, but because I attended the church there every now and then, they let me play on the football team. And so I played on the 7th, 8th, and ninth, I guess, and I was playing on the team. It was the worst team ever. I'm talking about we scored one touchdown the entire year. The whole season, we scored one touchdown, and that was defensive. It was a fumble that somebody ran back. We never scored one touchdown on offense the entire year. We were terrible. And to let you know how bad a football player I was, I was second string (laughs) on that team. But anyway, long about the fourth game of the year, I guess, we 
was going to play this other team, and they were supposed to be really good, and they had this guy. And I thought all week, what was his name? Because I remembered it so strong back when you was in the day, you know. I, everybody was talking about him. And I could not remember his name. It was on the tip of my tongue all week, and I prayed and prayed. And the Lord finally pulled it out of this brain somewhere. His name was Danny Sparkman. Isn't it funny that you can remember somebody back from the seventh grade? I think he was about a ninth grader at the time. I'm not sure. But Danny Sparkman played on this team we were about to play, and everybody was scared because he was a man among boys. You know how some kids just seem to grow up faster and stronger than everybody else? I mean, this guy was probably shaving in the seventh grade. I don't know. <laughs> but he was bigger and faster, and he had scored like four touchdowns on us before I ever, ever even got in the game. But after the fourth touchdown, he had just run over folks, just embarrassed us. Nobody could catch him. Nobody could stop him. And, and after he scored the fourth touchdown, I think he must have run over the defensive linemen that I was second string to because they sent me in. And I went in the game, and I was shaking in my boots. You could say I was not eager, right, to tackle Danny Sparkman. Did I tell you that I also looked up Danny Sparkman? Because I remember him playing somewhere in college later on. And I looked it up, and you can look it up too. He, was, he ended up being the quarterback for Memphis State Tigers in 1982 through 1984. And he's in, now in the University of Memphis uh, Sports Hall of Fame, Danny Sparkman. <laughs> All right. <coughs> he's in the ninth grade. I'm in the seventh grade. I'm second string. Okay. So I get down in the three-point stance, and I'm probably, my legs are doing this number here, you know. But I know I got a job to do. And they're going for a two-point conversion. And so they pitched it out to the right, which was to my left. Now, I don't know, you know, I ran like a 6540 or something. <laughs> I don't know how I got over there at the same time that Danny Sparkman. I, I guess somebody must have tried to tackle him in the backfield, and by that time I got over there. But me and him came together at about the four-yard line. And guess what happened? I'll tell y'all later. <laughs> Who are we as a team? Compassion Church. Our banner over there tells, God told us early on, about five years ago, he began to explain to us who we are as a team. He said we're a warm, fun-loving family. Now, does anybody say, no, that's not true. I didn't get any hugs when I came here. Nobody seemed to care about me. No, you didn't. I guarantee you, you said, well, these people are nice. They're a bit nutty, but no. <laughs> I don't know what you thought about us as, as people, but there's one thing you can't say. We're not friendly. We're not fun-loving. We enjoy, we believe you can come to church and have a good time, and we're a family. We begin to care about one another. We got that part down. We're doing really super. God showed us that, and that's the first thing we worked on becoming. But how are we doing about when it gets down to the second line? Eager. Are we eager? To reach out with God's love and restore all who've lost their way. How are we doing? How would, if you were the greatest one to ten, don't shout it out loud. 
I'd say we got a ways to go about our, our eagerness to reach out. And I think all the churches in America do, to be honest. I think we have become a little self-absorbed. I think we have become a little Americanized and compromised and, and scared to, to step out and to knock on doors and to share our faith with people in the malls and so forth. We just like, well, you know, there's plenty of churches. They can go and get it if they want it. But see, they're not coming. The church is on the decline in America because we stopped going. We stopped reaching out. We, we were expecting everybody to come to us. But guess what? They're not coming anymore. But you're on the right team. You're on the right team because we got a plan. And today's message is entitled, Eager to Reach Out. And just as we declared how warm and fun-loving we are and how we love everybody and how everybody's family, and we treat everybody like their family, we, or we need to begin to focus on being eager to reach out because we need a bigger family because there's still empty chairs in between where you, you and your wife are sitting. Not between you and your wife, hopefully. We're, today we're going to preach on marriage. No, just kidding. No. All right. I stole something from my neighbor's yard, and it wasn't his lawnmower. It was this. What is this? It's an acorn. Angie says it's an acorn. I say it's an acorn. I don't. Depends on what side of Mississippi you're from, I guess. I. But this, to me, is an acorn. Is that right? How do you say it? Acorn, acorn. Anyway, I brought it out to tell you that everything that you need to grow an oak tree is already in here. If you were to want to plant an oak tree, not to buy one that's already come up, but you wanted to plant one, you would take one of these and plant it in the ground, and an oak tree would come up. Everything, the leaves, the branches, the fluids inside the tree, everything is already in the seed. Like Brother Van said, seed time and harvest is the principle. God already established everything will have seed, time, and then you'll get a harvest. Everything that is on the earth came from a seed. The seed of God's word produced all of this. And everything that you need to plant an oak tree is within the seed of an acorn. God says, we plant and we water, but God gives the increase. And that's just the way it is. He talked about in your finances and so forth. That's just the way it is. It's a natural law. It's a spiritual principle. Everything that we need in this church is already in this seed. Are you listening? Everything that you need that, to be the person that God called you to be is already in you. You're not missing anything except planting yourself into the work of God. 
and watering yourself along the way. And God will bring the increase. You can be who you're called to be. But if this thing stays in my folder here, I ain't going to see any oak trees planting up out of the pulpit. It's got to be what? Planted. The leaders that we need to go to the next level in this church are already in this room or in the back. Everything that we need. They may not be developed yet, and we're doing everything that we can to develop our leadership, to help them grow and understand and get planted into the work of God. But they're here. And the ones that are not here yet, they will be here when the other ones grow up and it gets to that point, God will send the rest. All the finances that this church needs is here now. God didn't say, okay, you got a poor church, y'all just going to stay poor forever. I'm going to be honest. Times where we, on the surface, we do not have a lot of wealthy folks that go to this church. We're one of those churches that everybody's going to have to kick in and do their share for us to be blessed. And I used to pray, God, send us some givers. Lord, send us some people with some finances. And the Lord corrected me. Everything you need is in your seed. So I begin to pray like this. God, bless our givers. Those who are tithers and those who give offerings and do their share, give them windfalls, give them inheritances. Give them ideas to, to bring finances. Bless them tremendously because that's the way it works. God doesn't have to bring in re reinforcements. Everything we need is within this seed. And if you're a giver and a tither, I want you to know your payday is coming because I'm praying for you. If you got a business and you're tithing, I'm praying that your business grows. If you're not a tither and a giver, then I'm praying that you become one so that you can be blessed. The love that we need, all the outreach ideas, you know, just like uh, sidewalk stories that's been such a tremendous hit for us to reach the children of our community, was birthed in the idea, in the heart of Pat and Kathy Kelpie, birthed in in, in the, within the confines of this church. We didn't have to go to another church to figure out how to reach our community. It was in the hearts of our people. Everything that we need is in the hearts of you, in your heart. But see, we have a church that, in America, that everybody just believes I'm a spectator. I'm supposed to come and get mine and go home. I'm supposed to get something. And, and really... As a church, we're all supposed to give what we have so that the church can flourish, so that we can be a good team. What if you had a football team where everybody came and said, well, I just want to sit on the bench and watch? You couldn't put enough guys on the field. They're putting 11 Danny Sparkmans, and you got three guys Sheffields.
one of the things we're doing, I'm just telling you, we're doing things different. We're looking at things different. Life groups. Life groups are designed to get you out of church as you know it. Get you into the homes of other believers where y'all talk things out. Y'all run ideas past. You know what? God put in my heart a long time ago that if we could do this, he did that. You know, I, I had this idea, and you begin to talk to people. You begin to say, hey, I'm part of this seed. It's not, you know, we can have, we can announce, okay, every third Saturday we're going to the neighborhoods and we're going to reach out, and then me and Tom and a handful of other people show. And everybody else is like, I it's just not working. But what if in life groups people begin to grow outreach ideas organically and within the heart of our people, not just in the heart of the pastor, but in the heart of the people, you begin to recruit people for your idea. I thought if maybe we went and we, we passed out these or, or maybe we went to the shut-ins and we started doing this and within your life group you're, recru you're recruiting a team and you're going. Then the church begin to multiply you build your team and you run your plays and Jesus is the great coach he's got a great playbook he's got a great game plan for your life but we just simply have to get out of our bench mentality and we have to be willing to step out Throughout history, there's always been those who responded to God's call and those who didn't. The Bible is full of the heroes of faith and the zeros of no faith. Those who did, those who didn't, the hall of fame and the hall of shame. It, paints the, it tells the truth. There are some who gave all there are some who gave none. There are some in between that gave a little. Which one are you going to be? When the final books are written in heaven, how is your life going to be recorded? Well, you, you went to Sunday service once or twice a month. Congratulations. You, you made it into heaven. Is that really your game plan? Was that why you were created? Is that how thankful you are to God? No, it's not. If you think it is, I'm here to wake you up today. That's not you. That may be the way you've been lulled to sleep by the devil, but that's not you. And you're about to awaken. And there's about to be an eagerness in your heart, and I declare it in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's about to be an eagerness in your heart for you to find your place in the body of Christ. For you to find your purpose in this life. For you to begin to make a difference in the world. God called Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to go from your father's house. And I want you to go to a place where I will show, that I will show you. Now see, Abraham was an old man by this time. He's living with his dad. His dad's a rich man. They got all the money and the cattle and every, all the comforts of this life Abraham had living with his dad. 
Now, we got all the comforts of life here today. We can stay on the recline. We can keep living with Dad. Where's my kids at? Tell them not, don't let them hear this. No. <coughs> They're in the back serving. Thank you. Both of them. Okay. Keep an eye on them. I mean, the easy thing to do when God calls you is to say, oh, I didn't hear him. <laughs> what? Did I hear something? I didn't, did you hear something? I didn't hear nothing. Stop up your ears and go back to the recliner and watch one more football game. And go on and act like it didn't happen. But he said, come out from your father's house and go where I sin, and I will make you the father of many nations. Now Abraham's old. His wife is old. She's been barren their, her whole life. They have no children at all. And now is not the time to start, probably. But God promises, I will make you the father of many nations. What did Abraham do? Well, they don't call him the, the father of the faith for no reason. Abraham jumped up and he did what God said. That little bitty sperm in Abraham that was dead came alive through the faith of Abraham and through that one seed God produced many nations of faith you say we're just this little church back here you can't find on the GPS what are you saying I'm saying we're going into all the world. I'm saying the seed is right here. You're in on the ground floor, do you understand? I'm saying God gave us a vision to go into all the world and plant churches. But until the seed begins to germinate, come alive with faith, until the seed is planted into the earth, we'll just sit here and wait like we're sitting in somebody's folder. The seed has to come alive on the inside. And it has to plant. And we'll become the church of many nations. We'll be the church of faith. Within Abraham's seed is many nations. How eager are you to reach out? You see, there's work to be done. We have the words of eternal life now. If you've been born again, you know the path to eternal life. You receive Christ as your Lord. You have the seeds. The Word of God is the seed. And when you spread the seed, it grows. Just like when I spoke to those two guys at the jail. All I did was told him couple told them a couple of scriptures about how to be saved and they received Christ and they became alive. They, they hopefully begin to produce fruit now. We have the words of eternal life. We possess the antidote to all the walking dead out there. All those lifeless, 
hopeless people who are hurting one another, who are, who are in despair, who are turning to drugs, who are turning to alcohol, who are turning to looking for love but not finding it. Your hairdresser, your cousin Eddie. The people running the gas station. I mean, they're, they're everywhere. Jesus said the fields are white to harvest. If Popeye's was giving away free chicken sandwiches, you'd get on Messenger and you all your friends would know about it. If you got a good deal on Black Friday, I bet you told everybody. Well, why don't you tell anybody about your good deal on Resurrection Sunday? Why are we scared to share good news? It don't make sense, does it? Jesus says, that the fields are white to harvest. And I pray, and, and he tells us to pray that God would send laborers into the fields, into the harvest. But I'm quite sure that he meant, he, he, he just assumed that we would go first. Not that we would just pray for somebody else to do it. But that we would be the first into the harvest and we would pray for help. I think that's the way God meant it. In John 20, verse 21, he says, Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He said, there, your seed is germinated. Go produce fruit. Just as I went, just as I went out and gave my life as a ransom, I want you to go produce fruit. But he tells a story in Matthew 21, 28. He says, what do you think about this? A man with two sons told the older boy, son, go out and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, no, I won't go. <laughs> but later he changed his mind and he went anyway. Then the father told the other son, you go. And he said, Yes, sir, I will. But he didn't go. Probably your life is found in between those two somewhere. Maybe early on, you said, yes, God, send me, I'm going. But you didn't go. You got caught up with the cares of this life or something. Or maybe early on, you were like me, I ain't going, I got too much to do. But then later you went. Maybe you're like Solomon. Solomon, man, he started out on fire. God said, ask me whatever you will. And Solomon says, give me wisdom to lead your people. God was so impressed, he gave him all the wisdom of the world. The wisest king ever. Gave him all the riches on top of that. And Solomon, he set about to build God's house. He spent seven years building the first temple, Solomon's temple, they call it, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed, and they called it God's house. But then later, 
He kept messing around. He married an Egyptian king's daughter, started following after their gods. He, met, he married about 700 others, I think. <laughs> he kind of got carried away with the women thing. He began to whore after other gods. And then so he started out good, but he didn't finish well. Or maybe you're like John Mark. John Mark wanted to be a young missionary. He said, Paul, Barnabas, bring me, bring me. I want to go on the missionary journey. I'm ready to serve God. And they took him along and he got persecuted in a couple of towns. He said, I'm going home. He became a mama's boy and he left the work of the ministry. Maybe you've been there. You started out excited, but you found out ministry work is hard. It means getting there earlier than everybody else. It means staying later. It means giving of yourself. You thought it was just everybody was going to pat you on the back and tell you how great you were. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Miss Anita? <laughs> Probably the hardest worker in the church. But old John Mark, thank goodness that wasn't the end of his story. By the end of Paul's life, he's in prison in Philippi, and he writes a letter and says, y'all send me my, my parchment, send me my coat, it's cold, <laughs> and, and send from John Mark. He's useful to the ministry. John Mark turned his life around, began to serve the Lord. Even though he, he started off, he messed up. How many of you have messed up? You got. You say, I want to be a member of that church, and then three weeks later, they ain't seen you for, you you was on a six-year hiatus. Maybe you're just coming off a 20-year hiatus. I don't know, but you're here today, and today is the first day of the rest of your life. You can start over again. Boy, you could be a Paul. Paul was persecuting Christians. When his name was Saul, he was consenting to their death. He was okay with it. He was going to get them. He was so zealous against Jesus that he was doing all he could to destroy the followers of Jesus. Until Jesus had to knock him off his high horse with a blinding light and blinded Paul. He says, the light was so strong. And the presence of God was so overpowering that this man who once hated Jesus said, who are you, Lord? He instantly knew that whatever just knocked him off his horse was the Lord. He said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And so Paul goes into Damascus and he sits for three days in the dark with nothing to eat or nothing to drink. And he's listening to what God wants him to do and God sends a man named Ananias and Ananias is a believer and he comes in there and he heals Paul's eyes he opens Paul's eyes with a miracle and then in uh, Acts chapter 26 18 after Paul's eyes are opened now he understands that the one he's been fighting against is Lord he changes teams Maybe you need to change teams today. And in verse 18, 
God, Jesus begins to speak to Paul. He says, I've opened your eyes, so to speak. And then now he says, I'm sending you to open their eyes. Isn't it funny how God takes the least likely candidate? I mean, Paul's probably sitting there thinking, he does know I've been persecuting and killing Christians, right? But now he wants to use me. He says, now that your eyes are open, Paul, I want you to go and open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Then they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. God will use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God will use you no matter where you've been, what you've done in the past. He'll, he'll use the broken things so that when his, they're filled with his light, that all their cracks, the light just shines through. So you know it's God and you know it's not you. He who's been forgiven much loves much. And so God purposely looks for those that he can show himself strong in. So you, you're not disqualified. Don't believe that for a moment. You know, the average pro football game on TV lasts three hours and 11 minutes. I should know. I watched about 10 of them this week. <clears throat> That's what my brother wanted to do. I wanted to spend time with him. You know, the actual time that they actually, between hut and whistle, the whistle blowing, that they actually play, that the action is going on for a full hour football, three-hour, 11-minute football game is only 11 minutes worth of action. You took the commercials out, the timeouts and all that, and you just went from hut to whistle to playtime, you got 11 minutes worth of TV. <laughs> If you broke it down from the average play from when he says hut and they snap it until the whistle, it's about eight seconds. But yet, these guys that are playing the sport have spent their entire life practicing, staying in shape, running, building themselves up for that eight-second play. And when I used to coach our little my son's nine and ten-year-old football team, that's one of the things I told them. The play is only eight seconds long, kids. Look, when, that, when they say hut, don't stop blocking until the whistle is blown. And I'll never forget the time I told you about my son was uh, tied in on the right-hand side, and we ran a play to the left, and it went for about 40 yards. But I looked over after the play was over, my son was still blocking the guy off the field over by the benches. <laughs> he wasn't, there was no way the guy could. But I love that. Jesus only lived here 33 years, but he turned the world upside down because he, he understood that when he was born, somebody said, Hut. And he was going to give it his all till the whistle blew. And he gave it his all. And we need to be, he was so eager to win your soul that his disciples were like man we can't keep up with this dude he's crazy he, he's not eating 
Jesus, don't you know if you go into Jerusalem, Herod's there to kill you? You go tell that fox. I'm going to work today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will rise again. I'm going to work while it's day. I got, I'm here. I have meat that you know not of. I'm going to do the will of my Father which is in heaven. Jesus was always cheering us on. He's a good coach. And he's trying, he's a coach that played the game. He leveraged all his efforts, all his time, all his resources. He gave up everything that he was to win the game. He literally shared the good news. He literally shared eternal life. I say literally because he literally is the good news and he is eternal life. And because he shared everything that he is, we have both. We have that good news. We have that eternal life. Our seed, his seed is in us. And death couldn't even block him. He come busting down through the door. Rolled that stone out the way. Death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't stop him. He come up out. Now, if anybody could have said, after being in the grave, he, he could have said, I'm dead tired. <laughs> How many times you use that one? I'm dead tired. Jesus could have said, I'm dead tired. But the first thing we see him doing, he's seven miles from that grave site, chasing two wayward disciples on the road to Emmaus. Same day. Didn't take a break. He's on the road to Emmaus to, to find two wayward disciples. When Peter, he's all down on himself because he denied the Lord. He says, I don't know what to do. I'll go a fishing. Jesus was there on the shore. Come get him back. He's here today to come get you somebody in here back. He's here today to, to find some wayward disciple who's lost their way and thinking, well, we thought he was Jesus was the one, but I'm not sure anymore. Because so-and-so, this happened and this happened in my life, and I'm just questioning my faith. And Jesus is here to trace you down today and expose himself so that, that you will see that he is real. He's here today to get you out of <laughs> to get you to not go back to your old way of fishing but to make you a fisher of men he's here today <laughs> to talk to you Thomas I know you missed him the first time he came but he came back again to talk just to you Thomas to show you the, the scars in his hands and on his feet and in his side and to say look touch me Thomas I'm real I, I was resurrected so that you can be resurrected. Don't doubt, but believe. He said, my Lord, my God. That's what Jesus is. He's my Lord and he's my God. And I'm eager to serve him. And you know you are too. Jesus left it all out on the field. it all out on the field. 
before he left, he shows us what our win is. He said, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. It's how you win this game. It's how you succeed in this life that I give. It's what you were created to do. Don't you dare sit there on that bench. Jesus was the acorn, the acorn. He was the seed planted in the earth that would spring up into eternal life to all who would plant that seed in their heart. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. The promises that he was going to make him a father of many nations. It was to Abraham, the one who had the faith to go. He does not say to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, which is Christ. Christ came through the bloodline of Abraham in a covenant with God that Abraham made on the mountain when he was willing to give his son. And God said, no, but I see that you're willing. And because you're willing, I will give my son. And through that act of faith to leave his father's house and go and plant the seed that God had given him, Abraham became the father of many nations and Jesus became Lord of all creation. And now you have that seed within you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in your mortal body, the Holy Spirit. eager or do you just want to be a spectator not enough not enough your best life is found way out past the confines of your self gratification your best life is so much better than just trying to please yourself you're here for so much more of a reason than to just my four and no more. You're a world shaker. You're a world changer. There's no limit to what that seed in you can produce if you will begin to plant it. Our debt of gratitude demands that we plant the acorn. I don't know what to do. I don't play. I don't know how to play my position. I'm. I'm just sitting out here, and you're scaring me, Pastor. It's big talk, but I don't feel like I have anything. I don't know what to do next. All I know is going to church, and that's it. I don't understand. I, I, how can God use me? There was a little teenage girl named Esther. In the book of Esther, you might recognize. She had one major gift. She was beautiful. 
Bible doesn't say she was extremely smart and talented. She was just beautiful. I don't know what your gift is. Obviously, a lot of you are beautiful. But some of us maybe not. (laughs) But we have gifts that God gave us when we were created. God has given all men gifts, all women a gift. She simply used, God used her gift to bring her before the king, and the king made her his new queen because of her beauty. Now, she could have just said, okay, I'm good. But the king had an advisor named Haman that said, these Jews around here destroying the kingdom, let's kill off these people. Make a decree. Let's get rid of them. They don't don't listen to you. They follow some far off God. The king said, all right. He stamped it that on a certain day, they're going to kill all the Jews. And the whole nation of the Jews, God's people, were about to be exterminated. Esther's uncle Mordecai was a God-fearing man. And he sent her a letter and told her that these things were about to take place. He said, you got to go talk to the king. She said, I can't. You know the rule. If you go before the king without him bidding you to come, if he doesn't invite you, you could be killed right there. And a lot of people are. This was a crazy king, you understand. She was scared. And in Esther 4.14, Mordecai says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, let me say that again. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. But you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this? Who knows if you were made Kings and queens, princes and princesses in God's kingdom for such a time as this. You're going to stay quiet and watch all these people die and go to hell? Because you're scared? She went before the king. Ended up that crazy Haman got hung on his own gallows that he had made for Mordecai and the king made another proclamation that the Jews could fight back and the Jews destroyed their enemies instead of being destroyed how do I play my position I'm just like Esther I, I know I got some gifts but I don't know what to do with them pastor how do I get started You stirred something in me. I can feel an eagerness to to make my life count. What do I do? Just so many simple things. Keep coming to church. Stop missing when when you don't feel like coming. When you don't feel like coming is when you need to be there the most. It's hard as a pastor for me to, to pastor you when you get one out of every three or four messages. God is leading us on a journey through these messages, and you're missing most of them. Start coming regular. Start reading your Bible for your own self every day. 
so he can speak into your life, so you can stay built up in the faith. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you fresh every day. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Pray. Pray to God and talk to him yourself. Get hooked up in a life group. These are important in our church. Probably more important than the Sunday service. I'm telling you. Your life is going to change in a life group. Put your ideas into practice. Don't despise small beginners. Don't think I don't have what it takes. You do. The seed is in you. Everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness, God has already given you. Don't compare yourselves. Some of you thinking, well, I, I'm not beautiful. I don't have this. I don't have that. I'm sure that little widow woman that came up to the, to the offering plate and gave her two mites was thinking, she, I'm, I'm sure he's going to say something about me only giving two mites. And he said, I tell you, she's given more than the offering. Don't you dare compare yourself to anybody else. You give what you got. You start where you are. But start. You know, some Sundays at 1.30, when we have our next step class, from 1.30 to 2.30, and I teach it every Sunday. Some, some Sundays I'm up here and nobody shows. But I'm here. And I'm not going anywhere. And you want to know why? Because there's going to be the day that there's somebody out here that hadn't been through the class yet, and they're getting sparked, and they're getting eager. What do I do? I don't know. I'm just going to go to that next step class. We always want to provide you a next step. That's what they're there for. This, is, this Sunday is the first Sunday, so it's the class number one, a good place to jump in. You don't know what to do next? We've got a next step. Everything that God is doing in this church is for you to grow into who you're called to be. Life groups, next step, Sunday service celebrations. Place this God is radically changing the way we understand how the church is supposed to flourish. It's not one man and one gift from one pulpit. It's everybody collectively being who they're called to be. Their ideas being relevant and useful. And you don't need my approval to go. Pass out Bibles at the mall. You don't need my approval to, to say, I want to have a, a, a song service for New Year's Eve like Callan asked about. Callan, you can do that. This church is yours. Just say, I want to use the church, and we're going to come and praise and worship God on New Year's Eve. If pastor don't want to sanction it or whatever, it don't matter. Everything doesn't funnel through me. This is your church. We are God's people. Let's get her done. Let's get her done. I was running to the left fast as my size 14s would take me. Danny Sparkman was coming around the corner. And I'm thinking, what am I doing? He's coming around the corner, and we, we made it about the four-yard line. And I started to just pretend like I fell down. 
But something in me remembered that I have trained for this. The coaches showed me how to tackle. I was tackling when I was a young boy. Keep my head up, aim at his thighs, hit him with my shoulder, and wrap my arms around him. And I did. And his thighs started bumping me in the face. And he drug me for about three and a half yards. But at the half yard line, I had just enough momentum to push him out of bounds. No good on the two-point try. We went on to lose that game by 56 points. But I did my part. When I was put in the game, I put my two mites in there. And that's all that I can do. <laughs> God has called this to be a church eager to reach out with God's love. If you don't feel eager, just start telling yourself, I'm eager to reach out with God's love. Just start declaring it by faith. If you're not seeing the hurting people around you, just open your eyes and start to look and stop thinking about yourself for a minute and seeing people in these situations out there that are hurting and see them with the eyes of God. And tell yourself, I'm eager to do something about this. I have the seed in me. 1 Peter 5, 2 says, Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you can get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. I declare over you right now, an eager people, to reach out with God's love. We will be a church that will plant seeds all over the world where people can find the real Jesus where they can find this love that we found. We will not hide our lights under a bushel, no. We're going to set it on a candlestick. We're going to lift it high for all the world to see. We will be the lighthouse of this world. I don't care. I, I don't care we're this small church. I don't care that I, that I speak in double negatives almost every sentence, that I have no education. Not Nairn. You know, I, I, it doesn't matter about our facilities. It doesn't matter that uh, we don't have all these wealthy givers. It do, the only thing that matters is the seed in our hearts. And that has been germinated by the Holy Ghost and power. And then God will use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And they will say, that's not that same church. Yeah. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.